0: It's Coley. Thank you so much for joining for another episode of Still With You. I am so excited to have you here. Last week on the pod, we spoke with our featured artist of the season, Charlotte based singer-songwriter Yamari. You were listening to her single, Where the Light Dances. If you have not already streamed this song or listened to her episode 118, I highly recommend both. Back to back for the second week in a row, we are hanging out with a friend from Charlotte, North Carolina. After graduating from Brigham Young University, Dr. Derwey, Owen L. Gray played professional football for the NFL for five years with the Indianapolis Colts and one year with the Carolina Panthers. During that time, Dr. Gray began his journey with God, experiencing his faithfulness as Christ moved in his heart. Dr. Gray earned a Master of Divinity degree with a concentration in apologetics from Southern Evangelical Seminary under the mentorship of renowned theologian Dr. Norman Geisler. Dr. Gray also earned a Doctor of Ministry degree in the New Testament in context at Northern Seminary. Today, he is the co-founder and lead pastor of Transformation Church, TC, a multi-ethnic, multi-generational mission-shaped church located in the Charlotte metro region. He is a popular conference speaker and the author of Hero, Unleashing God's Power in a Man's Heart, Building a Multi-Ethnic Church, The Good Life, God, Do You Hear Me, Limitless Life, and his brand new book that is out today, How to Heal Our Racial Divide, What the Bible Says and the First Christians Knew about Racial Reconciliation. Like many of us, Dr. Gray is weary of the racial divide in our society. He longs to see hurts healed, wrongs corrected, and trust replace distrust. The good news is that the Bible has a lot to say about how to heal our persistent racial divide. In this book, Dr. Gray walks us through scripture showing us the heart of God, how God from the beginning envisioned a reconciled, multi-ethnic family and loving community, reflecting His beauty and healing presence in the world. This message is central to the gospel itself. And cover to cover, I could not put this book down. After picking up How to Heal Our Racial Divide, you won't read the Bible the same way ever again. And you'll hear me admit this more than a few times in this conversation with Dr. Gray. There's so much to learn from this eye-opening scriptural journey, especially when we as God's people turn from being colorblind and embrace being color-blessed. It is an honor to celebrate and welcome author, pastor, and brilliant human being, our new friend to the show, Dr. Derwin Gray. Something that I have to ask you about, Dr. Gray, because it was important enough to make it into the print of the book, is that you're a Jeep owner. Like You didn't just say, while I was riding my car, you're like in my Jeep. I know there is a whole hidden secret culture behind <laughs> that vehicle. <laughs> Tell me about owning a Jeep.
1: My children, when they were getting into high school, they needed cars. And so we ended up getting my daughter, uh, when she went to college, like a big old Jeep Grand Cherokee. It was like a tank because we wanted you got to protect your baby, right? Oh, yeah. We really dug her Jeep. <laughs> and then when it was time for my son in high school to get a car, I gave him my old SUV. And a friend of mine had a 2012 Jeep Grand Cherokee, all black, 65,000 miles on it for 16,000 bucks. I bought it from him. And I said, I want you to put some nice tires on it. So he put these big old fat tires on it. And so I said, I got a bow legged, black jeep and it just fits my personality you know i'm i'm a little bit older and huskier now and so the jeep is husky as well so that's kind of the uh the jeep and the teenagers love my tires
0: so do they participate in any of like the jeep wave or i right now i've just learned about like the ducks do you guys participate in like the exchange of ducks
1: i have no idea about a jeep culture i didn't know i was doing a trend or oh or if it was cool or not. I just needed a vehicle. We liked our daughter's Jeep and I got one at a great price and it looks cool.
0: Listen, I'm not cool enough to own a Jeep, but I've ridden with some friends who have Jeeps. You are maybe missing something that you might like to be a part of, I think, because there's a whole Jeep wave where it's like two fingers. You just raise two fingers up. And then also there, if you look at different Jeeps, in a parking lot, sometimes you'll see like rubber ducks on the dashboard. It is something of like where people will leave a rubber duck on another Jeep's vehicle. Okay. Anyway, I thought you could give me some insight, but now I feel like I just gave you an invitation.
1: You gave me an <laughs> invitation into the Geek wave and some ducks. So I'm going <laughs> to... I'm going to check that out and see what happens.
0: It's one of those things like I'll say something and then you'll probably be like in the grocery lot parking lot. You'll be like, oh, I know what she's talking about. Yeah, let's go. When you are in the process of writing, is driving or like what's kind of your go to to get your head in the right writing space? You know,
1: so writing for me is a labor of love. I don't write because I want to. I write because I have to that God gives you a message that I cannot shake. Like I didn't major in English. I didn't read literature. Like, I don't know what a verb or noun or any of that stuff is, but God has given me a gift to be able to write. And I'm a pastor theologian. And so I want to write beautiful, glorious doctrinal truths that highlight Jesus in such a way that it's accessible to everyone. And so kind of my groove is this, I got stuff that God wants me to accomplish. Yeah. And so discipline is really important. And so what I'll do is six days a week, because I have a Sabbath day, but six days a week, I'll say, okay, I'm going to write 400 words. And what I found is this, is when I say I'm going to write 400 words, I don't waste words anymore because I know 400 is my allotment for uh-huh. that day. And so those 400 words are words of quality. I'm fighting for the reader. I'm fighting for clarity. I'm inviting people in. When I hit 400, I stop.
0: No matter what, even if you're just pencil hot.
1: Now, If it's one of those days where it's just like, oh man, uh-huh. then I'll keep going. But rarely do I ever do over like 1500. Wow. I schedule it out. I get up and do it. And what I've found is my editing is a lot easier because I really parse out those words.
0: Yeah. Do you discover that practice in book one, book two? I mean, you have six books out. So I believe you when I say that it works, the rhythm works. When did you discover that?
1: Book four. So my book, The Good Life, Uh With the nature of everything that was happening, I had one in college, one in high school, getting ready for college, a burgeoning, growing church. And so discipline is key. We all have 24 hours and we're going to spend them. So I want to spend them on God's priorities and limit my distractions. Mm -hmm. And so I would get up two hours earlier than normal and I would just write those words. And what I found with How to Heal Our Racial Divide um, the first, I would say, eight chapters of the book was the most worshipful and easiest I've ever written. Wow. I mean, it was just so worshipful, the experience. Yeah was just beautiful. The words came, the stories work, the scriptures fit. But then (laughs) the next few chapters, all hell was unleashed. We went through demonic attacks on our church staff, just difficult things. But even in the midst of that, God was kind, God was good. But writing for me, Is not something I would have ever signed up for, but it's something God called me to and it's something God sees me through. And so I've learned at book four, this rhythm of saying, I'm going to do this many words per day, six days a week. It's made those words more impactful because I don't waste them.
0: In your relationship with the Lord, because you walk closely with him and you know, he knows what you need better than anyone, period. When you take that story to him of your where you're like the first half of the book felt like a worship to you mm-hmm. and it was like I met with you and then you talk about the other half when you bring that to him and you kind of I don't know if you ask him why but or like what have I learned from that but I mean like how do you had that have that conversation with him we were like what happened this feels like two different books with two different experiences like how do you hold that
1: yeah life happened the longer I walk with Jesus, the more John 16:33 makes sense. He said, "In this world you will have trouble. Yeah. But take courage for I have overcome the world." And the overcoming is the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, right? So he doesn't promise ease. He promises presence. He doesn't promise a lack of adversity. He promises that his adversity will be a university. But but more than anything, we should not get surprised, that James says, count it all joy when trials come. We are not yet in the new heavens and the new earth. Yeah. So therefore, we're going to have bad days. We're going to have rough days. We're going to have adversity. We're going to have days where we go, God, enough. I, I just can't anymore. But none of that determines his love for us. His love for us was settled at the cross. His love for us was vindicated with the resurrection. In this world, we will have trouble, but take courage for I've overcome the world. And so anything the enemy throws at me, God repackages it, recycles it to grow me into the image of Christ. So it's a win-win yeah. every single single time. It being hard does not mean the absence of God. And it being easy does not mean the presence of God. That presence of God Mm -hmm. has been settled by his life, death, and resurrection. God already knows what's on our heart. And so we bring it to him like, Lord, this is challenging. This is hard. But in the midst of this, it's more than producing a book. It's what you are producing in me. Mm -hmm. The ministry to us is always greater than the ministry through us.
0: Wow, that's so good. When I read through how to heal our racial divide, which by the way, thank you for letting me read an early copy. As you can tell, it has been marked up. <laughs> I feel like this is such a sacrifice based on the information alone. When I look at the research and work that you had to do outside of the hell that y'all paid for (laughs) and going through the warfare through this, the hard work, which I have a husband who is in his master's program for divinity. I'm telling you, I'm appreciating people who are doing the scholarly work to get us the information to grow closer to the Lord through his word. I appreciate that. Thank you. If you don't mind, I want to dive in because I have a lot of questions.
1: Let's dive in. Let's put on the scuba gear and dive.
0: All right, here we go. I've had the opportunity to learn a lot, but I don't feel like I've ever learned enough about race and reconciliation. I've had the opportunity to learn from incredible leaders and voices such as yourself and many other people with lived experiences that I can learn from. And one of the things that I hear often from like Christians is they say like we have to look to God's word, like the Bible as our guide to understand race and reconciliation. When you go to have a conversation like that and someone's like, I have an open Bible, like where do I begin? Where do you point them? Yeah. Because that was me and it still is me sometimes.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, Coley, that is a beautiful and and precious question, right? And we need teachers to teach us. My thesis of the entire book is, in essence, we need to dive deeper into the word of God. We need to dive deeper into discipleship. We need to dive deeper into the gospel. Historically, as a result of being in the American context, and in the American context, we dealt with Native American genocide. We dealt with enslaving people from Africa and Jim Crow and segregation. So within our cultural context, it was advantageous for certain groups of people not to teach the fullness of the Bible. Case in point, if it's 1820 and you live, say, in Georgia, and your livelihood is based on cotton, and you come across a scripture that says, okay, we're to love my neighbors, I love myself, well, owning and demeaning and degrading another human being. is not loving my neighbors. I love myself. So therefore, let's make the gospel about saving souls. Enslaved people, their souls are saved and they'll experience freedom in heaven. But on earth, Mm -hmm. they're going to work. And I'm going to be a good slave master and I'm a I'm going to treat them good. Versus, well, if I'm called to love my neighbors, I love myself. Would I want someone to own me? The answer is no. That's just basic. So one of them is a dark deception of this cultural, when I say white supremacy, I don't mean like hoods and capes. I mean the normatization that, okay, America's a white country And, you know, hey, we kind of should be leading when in reality, no, America belongs to all of us. My great, great, great grandfather fought in the Civil War against the Confederacy. Yeah. So patriotism is in my blood. Once you kind of lay a foundation, you, you say, hey, you know what? Why don't we look at the story of the Good Samaritan? Why would Jesus tell a story about a good Samaritan? Well, for the Jewish people and the Samaritans, there was a 700 year ethnic feud. 700 years before Jesus was born in 722 BC, the 10 northern tribes of Israel were taken into captivity by the Babylonians. And as a result, they intermarried, they intermixed, and these people called the Samaritans came into being. They were half Jew, half Gentile. They were Samaritans. They had a different way of worship, and all this ethnic animosity was involved. So when Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan, where two Jewish priests, a Levite and a priest, walked past a Jewish man bloodied and beaten, but a Samaritan stops to help him, that's Jesus kicking racism in the face. Yeah. A Samaritan would never do that. And a Jew would never want a Samaritan to do that because of 700 years of ethnic uh-huh. feuding. So Jesus is saying, you want to break this cycle of hate? Begin a cycle of love. You want to break this cycle of prejudice? Begin a cycle of of sacrifice. I would start right there, number one. And then number two, let's start with this. And I'll give you an example. Um, Recently, our church partnered with churches in Poland. Uh, Christine Kane and Nick Kane are friends of ours. Yeah. And uh, they have campuses and churches in Poland who are able to receive refugees from Syria because of the Russian invasion. Well, our church financially is going to partner with Zoe Churches in Poland to meet the refugees' needs. However, I reminded our congregation that we've also helped financially Syrian refugees, and we've helped refugees from Africa. We've helped refugees from South America who are at our nation's southern border. And the point is, whether if you're European, whether if you're South American, whether if you're African or Syrian, you're all made in the image of God. And there is no hierarchy of what refugees are more important because every human being is made in the image and likeness of God. And God doesn't want us to be colorblind. He wants us to be color blessed. God didn't make a mistake making me this caramel chocolatey tone that I am. That's the image of God being expressed. He didn't make a mistake making you the way that you are.
0: Yeah.
1: Our differences make us different for the better.
0: Hey friends, I'm interrupting my conversation with Dr. Gray to ask you a question. Do you own a business or a brand? Big or small, you have a story, and Still With You would love to share the hard work that you are doing. See, one of my favorite parts about hosting a podcast is supporting my entrepreneur friends. Gosh, they have real grit, and giving them a small space on an episode is a true joy. Becoming an official sponsor of Still With You is easy and so much fun. If you're interested in this opportunity to showcase your company, let's connect you can visit my website coleybrowning.com and click the share your story tab take 10 seconds or less to fill out the quick form and then hear from me in less than 24 hours about sharing your brand your business your story on still with you hopefully next time you will not be hearing my voice in an ad break but we'll be hearing yours Something that I'm so grateful for with the book and what you've taught me is that I did not realize like how much God spoke about race and reconciliation in the word. And I think if I were to be very transparent, number one, I think I'm not always looking for it. It's not something that's always on my radar. And it's unfortunate because I really need to be looking for it because it affects my life and my neighbors and people around me. And I need to learn how to do that better. But second of all, it's Sometimes when I hear different people groups like Assyrians, Babylonians, Egyptians, Persians, Romans, Canaanites, in my mind, I don't register with the relatability of Hispanic, Asian, Black, Alaskan Native, Indigenous Americans. I don't know why that didn't translate to me. Yeah. And when I read stories about Peter not wanting to be with the Gentiles at the same table. I mean, I love it if you could talk just a tiny bit about that story, because, you know, we always put the situations in Antioch in Acts, like, how is this amazing church but to hear Peter, like not wanting to sit at the table with a Gentile when he told others that they yeah. need to be. Yeah, I don't think I realized how much the Bible talks about it because it's not using the modern context for my regional area. Does that make sense?
1: It, it does. It does. And you're not alone in that. For the overwhelming majority of white Christians, you've been taught to read the Bible in a colorblind way. And you've almost been taught that you're kind of like the Jewish people and everybody else is the outside people. When in reality, no, we're pretty much the Gentiles who need to be brought in. And this is really important from time to time. I'll get emails from people new to our church. And they'll say, well, why do you talk about race so much from the Bible?
0: I've heard you say that. Yeah.
1: And some will say, just stop it. And I'll tongue-in-cheek say, okay, I'll stop. So therefore, uh, the Jews are not Jews anymore. They were not in slavery in Egypt. They didn't have to fight the Canaanites, Hittites, everybody's presbytes. The Babylonians didn't take them into captivity. The Romans are not oppressing them. And at the end of the Bible, there's no every nation, tribe, and tongue worshiping Jewish Jesus. So if you remove ethnicity from the Bible, you no longer have a Bible. Yeah. God has come to reconcile people of all every nation, tribe, and tongue unto himself and into each other to love each other as brothers and sisters, because God made a covenant with Abraham in Genesis 12. So we can't even interpret the Bible correctly if we don't understand the ethnic, social, historical issue that Jesus and Paul in the early church dealt with. Now, when you go to Galatians chapter 2, we have this incredible story about Peter. Now, Peter had experienced God's grace with Gentiles. In Acts chapter 10, he has a dream from God. Cornelius, the Roman Italian, says, hey, come to my house. Peter in Acts 10, like 28 through 32 is like, listen, uh, as a Jew, it's unlawful for me to enter your house because you're a Gentile, but God, I now see God shows no favoritism for no one. So it's like, Peter gets it, man, Jew and Gentile, one in Christ, equal in Christ. Mm -hmm. Then in Galatians chapter two, the Jews and Gentiles are having a good time. They're eating. Now, keep in mind, when I say Gentile, that means African Middle Eastern. That means all the different people groups. Okay. So they're having a good time. They're eating food. And then Galatians 2.13 says, and then the party of James came Mm -hmm. and Peter withdrew from the table because he was afraid of their criticism.
0: Mind blown, by the way, like I just didn't know that was in the Bible. I'd read that, but never did it register that that was racism.
1: Yeah, because in the ancient world, your ethnicity was not determined by the color of your skin. It was determined by your religious practices. And so therefore, when the party of James came, their contention was Gentiles. If you really want to be in the Jewish Messiah, you have to take upon the ethnic badges of a Jew. Men, you got to be circumcised, practice the festivals. You even have to eat kosher. In other words, you have to become a Jew. Once again, not skin color, but an ethnic change through your religious practices. And Paul says in Galatians 2.14, I confronted him to his face because he was walking out of step with the gospel. Coley, let me just preach just for a minute, my young sister. Please do. Let me just preach because I've heard so many times, just preach the gospel. Just preach. I'm like, I am preaching the gospel. The gospel is not merely how you get forgiven and go to heaven when you die. The gospel is an all-encompassing story. It is a royal summons that the King of Glory has come in the Jewish Messiah to fulfill his father's covenant with Abraham and this family that Jesus gives his father is forgiven, Mm -hmm. it's justified, it's reconciled, it's sealed by the Spirit, and it's one. They are children Abraham. That's why in Galatians 3:8, Paul says these words: the gospel was preached beforehand to Abraham. And this, the scriptures testified that all the nations would be blessed. And so Paul says, Peter, what you're doing right now is out of step with the gospel. You are causing division. We need more believers. To have the gospel courage to confront family members over dinner and holidays when they make racist remarks. Yeah. We need believers to say, hey, that, that's out of step with the gospel. Now, let me pause here. This is really important. Yes. In Galatians 2:20, the apostle Paul, who at one time was a Jewish nationalist and Pharisee who would have been a racist towards the Gentiles, he explains why he's now a racist. Galatians 2.20, Paul says to Peter and to everyone, here's the reason why I've changed. I've been crucified with Christ. Mm-hmm. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. Although I'm in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So Paul is saying the reason why I'm standing up to you is because of Christ in me. The contention of my whole book is this. How do we heal the racial divide? It's through people who've gone deeper in the gospel with Jesus and who care so much about his glory. They say, no more on my watch.
0: Sometimes when I think about like how many times I've opened the book, and like missed it, I've missed out, but I'm so glad that you're like opening the door for us to learn. Like, I really do feel like this could be even a college course. I just, this is such a great tool. I feel like I had settled for Revelation 5, 9, where it talks about every tribe, language, people and nation. That was a great appetizer. I didn't realize like how many cultural crossing that Jesus did until you break it down for us.
1: You are a little... Prophetic here, Coley, in that uh, Montreal College is actually using my book, How to Heal Our Racial Divide, for a class on cultural diversity. So, oh
0: my gosh,
1: it is required reading at Montreal College. And so, I try to write in such a way that it's accessible to everyone that you can use it in a classroom and you can read it in a small group with other Christians over coffee. Yes. And it's like I'm walking with you hand to hand. Like I really poured my soul into this. I want to do my part to heal And so now I'm asking people to join me by reading the book, read it in small groups at the end of every chapter is a prayer is questions and also something to practice.
0: Congratulations. That is so exciting. Thank you. Hey again, it's Coley. Before I launched Still With You five years ago, I read endless how-to articles promising a smooth and simple podcasting startup plan, but they only left me more confused and discouraged. I wanted a space for what I truly needed, practical, trusted information with personal encouragement, which is why I started How To Podcast with Coley Browning, a fun, easy, encouraging step-by-step guide to create and launch your own podcast today. In this You will discover your podcast purpose, plan your show step-by-step and publish and promote your work. Don't just listen to podcasts, participate in the conversation, start your own show today. And for a little bit of extra help in the process, you can use how to podcast with Coley Browning, a fun, easy step-by-step guide to create and launch your own podcast today. You can find more information by visiting coleybrowning.com. Click how to podcast with Coley Browning, press record and start sharing your story. You know, we have hate amongst different ethnicities, nationalities, like there's the racism itself, Mm -hmm. but something that I've noticed too, is there's this friction and dissension amongst groups that are even trying to fix the problem where we're fighting about like how to fix the problem. Mm This book is so great because, number one, like I said, it invites closer to the Bible. And anytime someone's like, hey, here's this, but really open the word, I'm going to listen. <laughs> How are you passing your family through that? How are you and Vicki leading people who are like, hey, we have the heart, like we're here. We don't agree with them. And like, we don't agree with them and they're not for us. How are you all doing that? That just seems so hard.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, um, I think the first thing is this. You can't lead a multi-ethnic movement if you're not living a multi-ethnic life. Ever since being a little boy and even when my wife and I got married, we've always had a diverse set of friends and family. I'm black. My wife is white. But even before then, there was just diversity everywhere because we we just value people. This book is is written out of a life that has lived it. Yeah. One of the dangers of our society now is you can say something click a button and it goes out to the world and you may not even be nowhere near close to living it this is a this is a live theology we have scars for it mm-hmm. so how do you do it number 1 you have to resolve in yourself that other people's behavior towards you does not determine your behavior towards them
0: that's good yeah
1: Once you establish that, then that moves you into a posture of learning to listen, of learning how to learn, and then grabbing people's hands and walking them into the promised land. I don't know if you remember, but in the Exodus story, when things got tough, the nation of Israel, after they got set free from God, they saw this incredible stuff. Many of them said, hey, let's go back to Egypt. We were slaves, but at least we ate meat. Yeah. And so a lot of times people stay stuck in fear because they're familiar with that fear. I've had white pastors say, Derwin, what you're saying is right. It's New Testament, it's gospel. But if I were to begin to do what you're saying, the white men would leave my church because they would be afraid their white daughters would marry black men. And my response is, do those black men love Jesus? Then what's the problem? So there's a, there's an element of prejudice, even in that statement, Mm -hmm. we firmly believe that because Jesus walked out of the tomb, he can walk in us. And, And then you have to teach it. You have to disciple it. You've got to live it. And then you've got to learn to live in the tension. Because some people are not where you are. There are African-Americans in our church who like, OK, I'm following you now. You need to tell the white folks. And it's like, wait, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on a minute. Stop. That's not gospel. The gospel is not about inflicting wounds or vengeance. Mm-hmm. The gospel is about healing and uniting. We'll have white folks who. This is so new to them. They're they're, they're going, I know what you're saying is true, but this is just so new. And so you have to meet people where they are. And like Paul says in Galatians 4.19, typically when we read Galatians 4.19, which Paul says, I am in the pains of childbirth to see Christ formed in you. We typically read that very individualistically. Mm -hmm. But Paul, when he writes you, is using second person pronoun. He's talking to the Jews and Gentiles in the Galatian church who is at each other's throats. And he's saying, I'm hurting to see, I'm delivering a baby to see Christ formed in you. Why? So that Jews and Gentiles can love each other to the glory of God and join God on his mission. So even our discipleship is not just so I can be a good dude. It's so I can be a good brother in God's family for you will know my disciples because they love one another. We have to get back to, and this sounds elementary, but it's not. We have to authentically get back to what Jesus's heart was. Yeah, He was yeah. asked, what's most important? He said, Shema Israel, Adonai Eleheno Adonai Echad. Listen, Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So let me throw throw this out. Number one, if you don't love your neighbor, you don't love God. 1 John 4, 20 says, how can you say you love God whom you've never seen, but you hate your neighbor who you do see? And that word hate is not this visceral disdain. It means to love less. It means to be indifferent God says, love your neighbor. Love is sacrificial. Love looks like the cross. Love is bloody. Love is painful. Love is beautiful. And so, what I'm calling people to do and how to heal our racial divide is learn to receive God's love because at the end of the day, prejudice and the support of racism is actually an indictment against your own soul. When I choose not to love another person, when I choose to be indifferent towards another person or prejudice or support systems that oppress other people, actually what I'm doing is saying, I really don't love myself because if you loved yourself, you would not want anybody treated in such a way that damages the image of God. And that's what the gospel does. That's what the good news does. Think about this. Oftentimes, the way we live as Americans, and specifically, let's talk about the issue of race, racial injustice and these types of things. For most white Christians, it's kind of like, well, that's not really my problem. But what I've seen at Transformation Church over the years is when white brothers and sisters who are part of our church, they adopt little black boys and the little black boys are cute. But when they hit about 12, 13, 14, 15, they move from cute to threat. And all of a sudden, these white parents are like, Pastor, we never knew that the racism was so bad. And I lovingly say, you didn't want to know.
0: Is that because that they didn't ask the right questions or they didn't do enough research?
1: No, it's because they wasn't listening to black people saying it. Well, you didn't believe it because the problem didn't knock at your door. Okay, yeah. We want to love in such a way that other people's problems of injustice become ours, even though if it doesn't affect us, and that's rooted in the incarnation of Jesus. Think about this: in the eternal council of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, they know God knows that humanity is going to fall, yeah, and they're going to need to be redeemed. Can you imagine if Jesus says, "Hey, uh, Father and Spirit, look, sin is not my problem. I have never sinned." I'm not going to sin, so therefore I'm not going to go because that's not my problem. No, that's not what love does. Love says, your problem is my problem. Could you imagine how much sooner the civil rights movement could have happened if churches, particularly white churches, would have been on board with that type of gospel ethos. People get mad at Black Lives Matter movement. And I'm not for Black Lives Matter movement, but I am for what they high highlighted, police brutality. It should have been us as the church leading the way, not a secular organization. It should have been us. But if you don't think the problem is yours, you're not going to participate.
0: You guys are doing an incredible job, and I do believe that like there are people who are wanting change to have forwarding the kingdom in a pure and holy way as best we can. And so, number one, I want to thank you because i you guys are brave to be doing this, but I imagine that you probably get tired of talking about this too, right?
1: Thank you for those kind words. I guess I've really never thought about it being brave. I didn't think there was any other option. Sure. That this is what it means to follow Jesus. And what I want people to understand is how to heal our racial divide is really a book about how great Jesus is. Yeah and how he wants to do great things in us. You're going to learn about history. You're going to learn about culture. You're going to learn about cross-cultural competency, but you're going to see the Bible in a whole new way. You're going to see Jesus in a whole new way. Like my doctoral work is in New Testament in context. I want to help you see Jesus in such a way that you begin to see people in the way he does. Because when we begin to see people the way he does, prejudice and racism fall by the wayside
0: i feel like when i look at the bible now i'm really paying attention to key words about different geographical locations descriptions of how people are and i feel like you know of course it's all there for a reason and i feel like this book takes the fuzziness out of reading that and turns it like to hd tv where i'm like okay i can see this a little bit more clearly now i appreciate that because i want to understand the the word of God more and more each day, and like plumb the depths of it. Do you mind if I ask you one more question, kind of about the the tension?
1: Come on, let's go.
0: Okay, so you mentioned like talking about the tension and like really settling in the tension, and I'll tell you, learning about race and reconciliation, really making the intentional effort to understand it is new to me still. And like I said, like I've I've been trying and I've been trying to consume a lot, so I'm still learning. Mm-hmm. I have a question for you about a conversation I had and. I kind of want to ask you to like when we have conversations like this, like how do we share like what we learn from how to heal our racial divide? Like how do we share it? Here's an example. I was sitting at dinner with a friend and we were talking about race. What has happened specifically that's been highlighted within the news in the past two years? And she, we were speaking about how it's so unfortunate that our friends of color have to walk through this. And she responded. She's like, yeah, I feel like I'm really lucky to be white. She felt bad for what others had to experience. But also that statement did not sit right with me. There's nothing that sets me to be more lagging, more blessed, superior than, you know, and I, and I tried to, in that moment, I used it as a little moment where I was, could share the love of the Lord. So I was like, all of our friends, they're made on purpose to represent the glory of God and to bear his image. And so therefore, I disagree with you saying that we're lucky to be white because I don't feel like that. It's so on purpose that it's not like luck of the draw that I am the way that I am. How do I handle moments like that?
1: You were very kind and you were very biblical in your response. Her statement is the racism and prejudice that I'm most concerned about the Ku Klux Klan, neo Nazis. That's easy, but it's the person who doesn't think they're racist is the biggest problem.
0: Yeah, and that's why it didn't sit right with me.
1: And for her to say, "Well, yeah, we're lucky because we're white." Number one, that diminishes the sovereignty of God, yes. and then number two, that's a form of white supremacy. Mm-hmm. It's saying, "Well, yeah, we're lucky to be us." It's a it's a posture and a statement of Really, white supremacy—like it is—it is very ungodly. So, so you did the right thing. I probably would have went a little bit more the Apostle Paul and confronted her. Yeah, uh, say, hey, this is this is out of step with the gospel because every human being is made in the image and likeness of God. And in case she doesn't know, most Christians around the world are people of color.
0: Yeah, I'm not saying I did it right,
1: but you did good. And so maybe further conversation can take place. It also. Be- bears witness that she understands the heartache and the suffering that Black people have experienced in the United States of America, people forget from 1600 to basically 1954, the overwhelming majority of life in America, Black people didn't even have basic human rights. And so it takes several generations to overcome that. But the posture should be, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. God has purchased the people of every nation and tribe for himself in Jesus. And so we should see each other, not that our ethnic distinctions are obliterated, but they are celebrated.
0: Exactly. And I think that this is such a great entry point into the conversation when someone says, you know, we need to start from the Bible. Great. This is a perfect resource to do that. And not only is it like scripture, but it's your lived experiences. I'm so grateful for the hard work that you and your team have done. Thank you. I am so honored to be a part of the Press Week. Thanks for allowing this conversation to happen. Is there anything specifically that like we can pray for you, Dr. Gray? Thank you so much. Pray for
1: my strength and pray for my endurance. Pray for me to honor Christ in the midst of this.
0: I will definitely do that. The book is out today. So this episode will come out when it is. So they can find it on Amazon and through their local bookstores. Just go and grab a copy, grab two or three. I can't wait to see how this book changes a home and then we'll change a circle of friends and then we'll change like maybe a corporate setting. And I think that this book has like many days that it's going to be at work in people's lives. And I'm so grateful for that. So thank you so much.
1: <laughs> Amen. I receive it. Thank you so much.
0: Dr. Gray's introduction alone might have given you some kind of clue of how hardworking this man is. Scholar, a pastor, student of the Word of God. I do not read the Bible the same as I did prior to reading How to Heal Our Racial Divide. I'm noticing so many intentional actions about Jesus and people groups, and I love that this is a resource that we now have in our hands that we can share with our family and friends and have some conversations that are so needed in this time in our lives, in history, in our world. I'm so thankful for leaders like Dr. Gray that I can learn from, and I never want to stop learning how to love my brothers and sisters of Christ better. Dr. Gray is now in the post-pre-order part of his launch. Grab your own copy of How to Heal Our Racial Divide. Today, the book is officially launched, and you can find How to Heal Our Racial Divide on Amazon or by visiting derwinlgray.com. Connect with Transformation Church and Discover all of the amazing ways that he and his family are serving the Charlotte area and beyond. DerwinLGray.com is where you can find him or you can connect with him on social media. His handle is DerwinLGray. Make sure you follow him and drop a comment thanking him for taking time to be on the show. I am so excited about the book and I love this conversation. Speaking of conversations, there are so many other amazing episodes of Still With You that I cannot wait for you to listen to. Actor Shel Ramos, NASA's spouse, Stacey Morgan, Emmy award-winning journalist, Kennedy Dindy, author Katie Hawkins, and so many other incredible friends sharing their story. I would love to connect with you as well. You can find me through my website, coleybrowning.com, and of course, through social media. My handle is Coley browning. I would love to hear where you're listening from, what you think about the show, and how I can pray for you to be someone who is in your corner encouraging you. Next week on the podcast, we are introducing, for the first time this season, one of our favorite rhythms extra ice where we are gonna dive into the word this has become a fan favorite reading scripture with some fun funky lo-fi music so next time i see you it'll be a week for some extra ice and until then be bold be brave be you and remember that he is still with you